Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Joe. We are recording today's episode in the morning of Thursday, the 11th of November. And this week's news is mostly um, GDP, I think, related. We've got the GDP numbers for Q3 2021 this morning. Um, quite a lot of interesting things in there that we'll, we'll like to talk about. There's also news this week on um, the legally binding, as it turns out, arbitration process that the government is going to put forward for landlords and tenants to work out rent arrears accrued during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, furlough fraud, this is something that Nick, you picked up a kind of interesting shot across the bowels from um, the government on how they are likely to deal with people who are found to commit fraud in relation to some of the coronavirus support schemes. And finally, I don't think any um, episode would be complete without the nod to inflation. And we've had some inflation numbers from the US and, and China this week, which um, make for a pretty concerning reading, I think, for the, um, the, the upcoming situation in the UK and, of course, across the world. So let's start, Nick, shall we, with these GDP figures, Q3 2021. Yes. And I, I, and I think it's important to look at it uh, on a quarterly basis, because we've, as we've said many times before, looking at a monthly figure is um, it's a highly dangerous game, as indicated by the fact that um, they've announced these result, these uh, GDP numbers for the first for the third quarter, and at the same time, uh, the September number is trumpeted and and is the headline figure. But guess what? Um, major downward revisions to the GDP numbers for July and August. So you know we do have to take the monthly figures with a considerable pinch of salt. Yep. Nonetheless, nonetheless, if you look at GDP for September, um, it grew 0.6%, subject to subsequent downward revisions. revisions yeah, which um, and ser- services were the biggest contributor to that, 0.7%. Um, m- m- production manufacturing uh, down, not yeah. hugely, but down. And construction was up 1.3%, but of course, it's a much smaller part of the economy than services. Yeah. So that's what it looks like on a monthly basis. And again, if you if you follow um, the lead of um, the ONS and go where they want you to go, then you look at September 21 versus February 20 to get to pre-pandemic comparisons. Mm-hmm. And you get um, uh, GDP being short of pre-pandemic by 0.6%. And um, seriously short of pre-pandemic in manufacturing, where it's still 2.5% down. Yeah, yeah, that's very... Nonetheless, if you look at it on a quarterly basis, the um, rise in, the, in, in Q3 versus Q2 was 1.3% compared to 5.5% in the previous quarter, you know, Q2 versus Q1. And And it's also worth saying that that 1.3% was under the 1.5% that the Bank of England just last week was, um, two weeks ago, was expecting. And that is coming from those downward revisions to those intermediate monthly months. So it's a a minefield, isn't it, really? It it is. And and if you look in a pre-pandemic, it's quite interesting if you, uh, you know, most of the commercial world has got the point that there's no earthly benefit in looking back at, two, at 2020 
Um, and so, for example, um, M&S now is only comp- giving its comparisons in its latest numbers this week uh, to, to the equivalent time period in 2019. Yeah, which is sensible. Yeah. So if you look at pre-pandemic, if you compare Q3 2021 with Q4 2019, which is the last quarter, full quarter, before the pandemic started to mess about with the numbers, then we are still 2.1% behind. So we've got a way to go. And that, that yeah. probably explains that that sort of difference of, of opinion between the Bank of England and the OBR about yeah. when we're going to get back to pre-pandemic levels. Although I think Bank of England now have, have, have said that it will be 2022 Q1. I think before, I think earlier in the year, Bank of England were, were much more um, mm. bullish on the on the idea that we would return in 2021. But I think yeah. everybody now, the, the consensus is that it will be into Q, Q1 2022. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, and, and I am going to try to be as uncynical as I possibly can be about this, but the biggest contributor to the rise in September 21 was through the service sector and through the human health activity sector and was caused by a large rise in face-to-face GP appointments. Pause for effect. And as I said to you, Joe, before we started recording, um, forgive my cynicism because I can't get rid of it on this, is, um, okay, if, if, if we insist on um, including statistics on, on GP appointments as part of the calculation, and if it can shift the dial for the whole economy, um, what happened to the vaccination yeah, statistics? Because the vaccination certificate in that same period of September fell off a cliff because mm. just about everybody that should have been vaccinated is pre-booster. Yeah. Everybody who should have been vaccinated or w- wants to be vaccinated was vaccinated. And then they would they were just starting to do a few secondary school kids. Mm. And and so if I understand face-to-face GP appointments being a measure that you might look at, uh, although it seems to me that if 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 the number of appointments wasn't down, i.e., they just shifted from face-to-face to telephone from telephone. I quite understand the relevance. Although, presumably, I mean, and I'm saying this without knowing for certain, but I, you know, I do trust the ONS enough to to think this is true. That at least there's consistency with the measure. So, if 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 when um, appointments started to go online, that had a negative impact on GDP. At least you're kind of reversing out, and so you. So that kind of internal consistency in measuring is important for comparative purposes, but. Yeah, I mean. Okay, well, let's let's move on to something something, something that, I, that I don't. Well, actually, the other thing so I wanted to the other thing, is this going to be the point about the rate of growth because I thought that was an interesting point that you picked up about looking at the the rates of growth um, and and how they compared to the pre pandemic um, averages. Um, yeah. Yes, um, it's interesting. Um, uh, let's do that, and then we'll come back to the other point I was going to make. Um, some interesting quotes from various commentators this morning on these numbers. And the Resolution Foundation, which is, you know, an, an acknowledged, uh, I mean, albeit, I think it comes... It comes it's left-leaning. It's left-leaning. Say. Let's not uh, kid ourselves that's anything particularly neutral about their, about their stance in life. Um, they said, and I quote, growth in July, August and September is no better than its pre-financial crisis average. So pre 2008. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And it goes on to say, with a, with, a, with a neat turn of phrase, supply chain disruption and labour shortages have derailed the recovery, which actually I think is broadly what everybody is saying yeah. in, in one way or um, uh, and, and another. So it's interesting that, you know, we, we've got a heck of a lot of catch yeah. up to do. You know, and, and it comes back to this point about a series of shocks, you know, from the global financial crisis to Brexit to the pandemic. You know, these things cause major disturbances yeah. in, in, in economies. And it seems ours more than most on that uh, because Pantheon Macro, um, uh, who are commentators on these sorts of things, um, came up with a, another lovely phrase. The UK appears to have reclaimed its status as the G7's laggard because they produced a chart showing how the um, the recovery of the G7 economies has gone from pre-pandemic, worst point of the pandemic, and then back up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the UK is further away from its pre-pandemic levels than anybody else. I mean, everybody else is, uh, sorry, five of the other six are still in negative territory, but less negative than we are. Um, the States, of course, is already ahead of pre-pandemic and motoring. Yeah. And again, I mean, I suppose just to, to temper that, it is hard because different countries have different ways of measuring GDP. These things are difficult to, to compare. Absolutely. So I think actually looking at the relative positions of, of growth is probably more sensible. But even so, even, you know, in spite of that, I think it's um, it's yeah. still it's still telling. Yeah. The other, the other big number that uh, or two, two other big numbers uh, that came out of the ONS comment um, GDP in consumer-facing services, which is shops, pubs, restaurants, fell in September, uh, despite the service sector as a whole going up mm. in September, and is 5.5% below pre-pandemic levels wow. in September. It's a lot. That is, that a, is, lot. That is a lot. And, and that could owe an awful lot to staff shortages, because September was the start of the, of the problem with staff shortages. Mm. You know, we finished with the pandemic and now we had staff shortages. Uh, the other big number, um, a, big, a big fall in the wholesale and retail trade in September, which was down 13.3%. Wow. Wow. Again, supply chain issues, we think. Supply chain labor, issues, for sure. Yeah. And for drivers, sure. possibly, as well, the HGV driver crisis. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. I mean, I've got more detail, but frankly, I think, I think that presents a good picture that if you look at it on a monthly basis, not too bad in September and certainly better than July and August, either pre-revision or post-revision. Yes. Um, and But if you look at it on a quarterly basis, which is what we have always advocated you do for safety's sake and you know for quality of data's sake, then we've got a bit further to go. And the quarter, the, the Q, Q3 was a pretty pallid sort of mm. performance. You know, I, I don't think I would count that as recovery. And I don't think I think the bank were not expecting Q4 to be much um, better. much better. So I think it w- really will be you know look what happens um, early early part of Q1. Well, I, I think all we can do is to urge all of our um, all of our listeners to get down to their um, their local GP surgery and see someone the figures, face yeah. to face. <laughs> that seems to be that seems to be the, the boost and, and get a booster jab because that'll help probably too yes indeed that's maybe that'll come out in the next in the next set of figures and um, let's move on now nick to this um bill that we heard about um on tuesday so it's called officially the commercial rent in brackets coronavirus bill and this is the um proposal that will show 
will um, force tenants and landlords to go to legally binding arbitration if they're unable to sort out the rent arrears. This is going to come into force from the 25th of March 2022, which um, our listeners will know is when the, the current restrictions on enforcing yeah. um, rent arrears comes into place. Um, <coughs> this is interesting. I mean, we, we, we had some consultations haven't we, about this earlier in the summer, I think kind of May, June um, time, there'd been a, a government consultation on what should happen with this um, ongoing problem with, with rent arrears. And this seems to be the government's um, outcome. I think, Nick, you've probably got some more interesting things to say on the the, the meat of this. Yes. I, I mean, I, I must confess, unlike you, I have not read the, uh, oh, the, the Code of, code <laughs> of Practice. We will, um, make, we will circulate the Code of Practice because it is quite interesting. It, it, um, reading it, it, it is. Too, too dense. But, but, I mean, this, um, I mean, we've got to run up to it because we've got the Code of Practice um, until March and then this new framework for arbitration that then takes take, takes place and from what you tell me about the code of practice it does seem to um anticipate a world of a, a version of the arbitration world that i don't recognize <laughs> which is doing things in 14 days um now i've got friends who are arbitrators and um uh first of all there aren't enough of them Secondly, the good ones are concentrated in certain sectors and it's not in property, generally. Mm. They're not in property. There are some very good ones in property. Um, but I'm not quite sure where, where the government thinks they're going to find the arbitrators. Because if you look at the scale of this problem, we, you know, the last figures we've got from the British Retail Consortium um, suggested that there was seven, sorry, British Property Federation uh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, said suggested that we were through seven billion um, coronavirus rent arrears and, and, and counting, and that was back in the summer. Mm. So by next March, I don't know what the number will be, but it will be very considerable. Now, lots of deals will have been done, lots of agreements will have been reached. Um, and, and I think uh, particularly those who won't pay rather than can't pay. And I wonder what the reading through this, you know, looking at some of the principles that are being set out, um, which is to preserve viable businesses, but to also not impact the landlord solvency. So, and I think, you yeah. know, if you can, where it's affordable for the tenant to meet their obligations under the lease in full, they should do so without delay. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that I think possibly kind of covers off some of those more controversial cases that we were, I think, that we were I think seeing. It does. I think I think it does. I mean, and of course, the other aspect of all of this is that uh, they are, and again, I'm not quite sure about the mechanism, Joe. You may know better, but the 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 answer is that uh, I'm afraid until March 2022, um, those landlords who found a clever way round using CCJs, the answer is. Oh no, not anymore. That's stopped. And it's interesting when we're not. It's not clear. I mean, when I when I read what the what the um, the blurb says, I think actually if a CCJ has already been um, has been given, that that would stand. But it says from tomorrow, this is um, like from on the 9th for the tenth of November. The government is also protecting commercial tenants from debt claims, including county court judgments, high court judgments, and bankruptcy petitions yes. issued against them in relation to rent arrears accrued during the pandemic. And that's important because it's a, there's this period. So anything outside of that period is not covered by this code. And it says landlords are encouraged to attempt to reach a negotiated agreement with tenants rather than pursue a CCJ. But where a CCJ is issued, this can be considered within the legal arbitration process when this comes into effect. So I feel 
there's a little bit of a fuzziness about yeah. the state of, of CCJs, but it's clear that from um, from the 10th of November, um, that is they they kind of close that that loophole. So we will we will share a link to the um, to the notice and the code of practice because that that is quite interesting to. Um, and to and look we'll at. see how it we'll see how it um, how it plays out. I, I just have that awful feeling that it's a it's it's a good idea that won't work in practice. It's not that long, is it? Really, I mean, where are we now? November to March. It's not a huge yeah. amount of time to to get the infrastructure in place. And, 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 and very few, very few good arbitrators yeah. um, are have free time at that sort of short notice. Very, very few. They're, you know, it's a, it, they are busy people. So we, we shall see. see. We we'll shall see. see. Let's move right. on now to the. Um, this is a really um, interesting point. The, the furlough fraud, and you've got some some press. Investigation well, as well, which is let's, let's, wind, let's wind this back on the 9th of November. Um, HMRC published new guidance about um, their powers under Schedule 16 of the Finance Act 2020. Now, this is the thing I did a lot I of stuff. Perhaps you could remind us for those of us not yeah, familiar. Okay, basically, <laughs> what this says is um, under certain circumstances, such as the insolvency of a company or the impending insolvency of a company, and particularly where there has been repeat um, losses to the uh, to the Treasury, HMRC and the Treasury, um, through the a- actions of directors. So we're talking about phoenixes here. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the HMRC now has the ability to reach through the company and issue uh, a joint contribution notice, a JCN, to the directors, and not just the directors, but various other connected parties. Um, it's anybody um, who has been involved in the management of the company, right, right. and it will include shareholders in under certain circumstances. So it can reach through and it can say, the company hasn't paid, but hey, you know what, guys, you're going to. And those notices are issued on a joint and several basis. So it captures all the people that it is sent to. So if you're an innocent um, non-exec, you could, it happens to have a um, a, a, a stately pile in in the home counties, the answer is you're on the hook. hook. Anyway, so on the 9th of November, HMRC reminded the world specifically that this uh, these powers covered income tax not paid as a result of wrongly claimed COVID-19 support scheme payments. So we're talking, I think, about bounce, bounce back loans. Mm-hmm. This is anything that was uh, taken during the pandemic when, let's face it, it was all of no questions asked and just yeah. throw the money at people. Yeah. So. Anybody who wasn't entitled to a bounce back loan, anybody who wasn't entitled to use the furlough scheme or misused it, the only exemptions are certain business grant um, schemes, but let's set that to one side. Now, so they specifically reminded everybody that these powers covered the taxation of COVID-19 support schemes, because if a company receives money under these schemes and it wasn't entitled to, it's taxable. It's a taxable receipt. So it generates a tax liability. Now, forget what the bank, the lenders might do on bounce back loans to recover the principal. This is the tax. Yeah. 
So I've got a funny feeling the directors could find themselves paying the uh, being asked by the lenders to pay the um, pay the payback the bounce back loans and the HMRC the tax. Now, why do you suppose this is such an important moment that they should do this? Well, the Times told us why this yeah. morning, or was it maybe it was yesterday? And I'm going to read this because it is just so it's, staggering. Yeah. This is from a tweet this morning. Analysis by the Times using official data shows that 7,000 companies registered to only five addresses in London made claims on the furlough scheme between last December and June. And that's the only period for which we have any public data. Yep. So it may have been going on before and since. Over that period from December 2020 to June 2021, these 7,000 companies at these only five addresses claimed £473 million pounds under the furlough scheme. I mean, it's a, that is astonishing. And the FT had done a similar expose of, I think, one particular company that we, we mentioned a few yeah. weeks ago, um, again, in the millions for, um, for a company that, as far as anybody could see, had no, no operations anywhere. Yeah. No, no and I think, you know, from a, from a data point of view, this is so interesting, isn't it? Because you, you think that um, there should be there should be things within HMRT to capture these kind of um, red flags. Uh, you know, five dresses, presumably um, incorporation agents or yep. um, or similar. And that you know, there was the that that data from when the scheme was launched back in March 2020 to I think ended in October, didn't it? And there was that kind of hiatus of of would it continue or wouldn't it continue? That has never been published, as far as we know. There's been no. Um, likelihood of that being published. So in December, people knew that this, that this would be made publicly available, um, and it still still, still went, went on. on. So four hundred seventy-three million pounds. <throat> and as you as you said, um, it's interesting pursuing uh, the <clears throat> directors and other interested parties of these of these sorts of companies um, will be very interesting. I mean, three of the five addresses that were most commonly used about among these 7,000 companies were linked to formation agents. So these, these are shell mm. companies, shadow companies, call them what you like. Um, they will there will be nominee directors that may well be companies. So they won't be individuals. Yeah. So they'll, so. And again, there's no, I remember as well, at Companies House, there's no need to verify the information that you submit yeah. to Companies House. Companies House yeah. will have to, I mean, it's that they want to, let, let's be clear, Companies House are very keen to, to change their, their remit. And that's, um, that's a process that's being consulted on and hopefully will, um, will be legislated on in 2022. But at the moment, Companies House have to accept what is, um, yeah. is filed with them. And given that that is a, the main source of, of checking if the company exists. Yeah. It does, you know, it really puts puts um, puts pressure on on the government. You'd hope to to do something about this. Well, you you would you would hope so because I I don't see them getting a lot of that four hundred seventy three million pounds back. No. Not not unless somebody somewhere has been remarkably inefficient at at, uh, at, at dropping Covering the their tracks. <laughs> dropping the offshore corporate veil over the, over what they've mm. done um, on on that one. Um, and of course the uh, the message. You know, we're we're all taxpayers. You know, all our listeners, and, you know, we're taxpayers. So it's you know, four hundred seventy-three million pounds appears to have been stolen. Our money, mm. our money. But of course, what it means is that others <clears throat> who have misused the schemes during the pandemic are going to get caught up in um, in this. And funny enough, I wrote a blog um, 
not so long ago saying saying basically to the directors of companies who um, had woken up to the fact that they might have got things wrong with these schemes. For goodness' sake, talk to the HMRC. To HMRC, yeah. start negotiations. Use professional negotiators, which there are some quite good ones out there, and um, and just come to a deal because otherwise it's going to get ugly. Yeah, it's and then ugly. and HMRC, I guess, will be minded to 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 do deals because they want to be able to focus on on enforcing against people who are not who are not coming forward so i guess yeah, any, absolutely, absolutely um, any, right. any negotiation that can be done and again i can tell you um that all the anecdotal um, indications are that um hmrc's attitude to collecting arrears has hardened and is hardening um mm. so um anyway so that's a uh, that's a horror story, absolute horror story of what happens when you when you don't put um, controls. But you know, we all understand what was going on during the pandemic and why it was more important to get the money out there and accept the fact. Just as with the bounce back loans, you know, the, the, the indications are still that over twenty billion of the bounce back loans will never be recovered. Mm. Well, do you know what? I think the government will probably think that was a price worth paying. Yeah. If broadly speaking, this broadly speaking, the scheme kept kept viable businesses alive that would otherwise have died but i just i just think it's very important that the lessons are learned and that you know that the importance of good quality verified information in yeah. you know on these public registers sharing of data all these other things mm-hmm. that can actually you know because the government can only do so much and i think there is a there is a role for you know companies like us and the other credit reference agencies and people who to have data in the public domain yeah. to be able to make these connections to a manage our own risk and, and b to be able to kind of shine a light on where there is inadequacies and and make the system better for all of us because we'll all benefit by by having better better quality information indeed so briefly inflation briefly inflation yeah <laughs> okay um well we all know where the bank of england is which is behind the curve here in the uk but i've been looking elsewhere and uh no doubt a lot of people will have seen the screaming headlines um about us inflation the cpi measure in the us was up 6.2 percent year on year in october uh it was up from 5.4% in September, uh, which means the month-on-month rise actually comes out at 0.9% in a month. Wow. In a month. That's the highest. 6.2% is the highest CPI figure in the States for 30 years. And it makes that the the podcast that we I think we mentioned last week, um, Volker's thing on on inflation and how he had to, you know, the, the kind of medicine that you have to take once inflation gets out of um out of control uh, all the more pertinent to, to to listen to yeah and china china published some they don't have um consumer indexes they have producer price indexes mm-hmm. they produ- the producer price index ppi a different version of ppi um, <laughs> was up in october by 13.5 percent <sighs> And that has and, such implications, doesn't it, for, for the rest of the world? I know, it's, and that's the highest since 1995. I mean, again, slight grain of salt. This is Chinese economic yeah, Chinese data, data, you know, so uh, who knows? But the 13.5% in October was up from 10.7% in November, in September. So that is accelerating rapidly. Um, slightly different causes there because... Um, they've had a lot of trouble with power shortages. Power shortages, yeah. Uh, because yeah. of, you know, for all sorts of uh, reasons, but also record commodity prices, absolutely, you know, mm. runaway commodity prices. And uh, and now here's a thing that we touch on from time to time. At the same time as uh, 
producer prices are rising, manufacturing activity is reducing because of the power shortages, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is called stagflation. And, 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 and potential kind of spiral, isn't it? If you're, if the price are right, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, and so that's USA, China. And one last little quick thing, um, uh, the Telegraph, we think it, it was, because I can't find the article anymore, um, this week um, talked to uh, senior executives at pretty much all the major global shipping companies and came up with a prediction that shipping costs will rise by a further 30% in 2022. I mean, which is astonishing, isn't it? I mean, we, we thought that the shipping prices were already astronomically, you know, mm. I, I, although to be fair, I think we were here this time last year, I seem to remember bemoaning shipping prices and they're probably about half of what they yeah. are well, now. So it's, well, there seems to be room for growth. Well, in those. Bear in mind that the Biden administration is talking about deploying the army to move shipping containers. Wow. <laughs> you know, so then um, um, somebody was suggesting, some wag was suggesting that was probably a rather more, that would probably have a rather better impact on inflation than, uh, than the Fed, <laughs> the Fed faffing about with interest rates, which I thought was, uh, was, was interesting. Uh, but, interesting. You know, so that means that the $4,000 shipping container price from, pre from a year ago that has gone up to 20000 Dollars, if this is right, will be twenty six thousand next year. On anyway. top of you know, if the inflation, the Chinese inflation figures continue as well, and on top of the actual price Product of the goods prices. Um, going up as well. There we go. So, not, so another really happy upbeat. Yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we we'll hopefully have some some better better news in in I don't know where the, the silver lining is, but um, maybe we'll, we'll look at some other um, every cloud, news. Every cloud has one, Joe. Indeed, we just need to look for it. That's our homework for the next time to look for some some silver linings. Nick, thank you so much um, as ever for your Pleasure. run through of the of the news. Thanks to everybody for listening. Until next time, goodbye.